trumpet judgments that came out of the seventh seal of the scroll that Christ is opening in heaven during the tribulation period. We're in the great tribulation period. And just as review in chapter 8, we had the seventh seal opening and then the first four trumpet judgments coming out of that seal. And now we are embarking upon the fifth and sixth trumpet judgments in chapter 9. So let's read chapter 9, and if you want to follow along with me, we'll read the entire chapter today, and hopefully we'll be able to get through this. Chapter 9 starts, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. And there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man." And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were, as it were, crowns of like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had the breastplates, as it were, breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is in the Hebrew, Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue hath his name Apollyon. One woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more the hereafter. And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were two hundred thousand thousand, and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as the heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire and smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents, and had heads, and with them they do hurt. And the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, and idols of gold, and silver, and brass, and stone, and of wood, which neither can see, nor hear, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their theft. Let's take a minute and pray. And then we'll get into our message this morning. Father, we thank you again for your word. And Lord, there are passages which are difficult to interpret, to understand, and to apply. And as we embark upon this passage in Revelation 9, Lord, we need your help to understand, to see what you're teaching us here. 
Lord, we need your spirit to guide us. And so I pray that you would open our minds and hearts to receive those things that you have for us this morning. Father, do your work in us to show us those things that are important. And Lord, use me today. I pray that I would just be an instrument that you could use, that you can speak through me, that your power might be evident, that your word might come forth with power, that your Holy Spirit might lead and guide and teach us through your truth. And so, Lord, accomplish your work in us today. I pray that you would just help us to honor you, to glorify you during this time. And may your will be done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, as we get to chapter 9, we are in the middle of the trumpet judgments in the seventh seal. We looked at the first four trumpet judgments in chapter 8 a couple of weeks ago. And remember, the first four trumpet judgments were God's attack on the ecosystems of the world, which ultimately were an attack on the economy of the Antichrist and the world at that time during the tribulation period. And these first four trumpet judgments in chapter 8, like I said, attacked the ecosystems. It was God literally attacking nature, his creation, to judge the world. Now, we are dependent upon creation to live. And we had talked about this this morning in Sunday school, how in jo- the, the battle that Joshua fought against the Gibeonites, that he prayed that God would make the sun stand still. And God made the sun stand still. And in the discussion, we, we basically understand that we are dependent as human beings upon the system that God has put in place for the sun to be there as light for us, for the earth to revolve around the sun in a year, for the earth to rotate so that we have day and night. And that regulates the heat, the energy that we get from the sun, and therefore it helps the plants to grow. It helps us to be sustained. But ultimately, all of that was created and put in place by God. So we don't need the sun. We don't need the moon. We don't need the earth, in fact, to survive. We need God. And we saw that, and that's the point that God was trying to make, or is going to try to make, with the people who are on earth during the tribulation, is that he is the substance of all they need. And he destroys much of what they call their gods. Nature, the things people hold on to and worship in nature, God gets rid of. He attacks the salt water, he attacks the fresh water, he attacks the land, he attacks the crops, he destroys it. And so people have nowhere to turn but to God. And here, as we get into chapter 9, this is the next phase of God's judgment in these trumpet judgments. And he shifts here from the natural world, the creation that he's made that sustains us, to an all-out demonic assault upon mankind. Okay? And you'll see, the focus is not on nature anymore. It's not on what sustains man on the earth. It is the spiritual nature of mankind that is attacked here. So the shift shift takes place here in chapter 9 to focus on the spiritual part of their lives. In Ephesians chapter 6, we read this this morning, verses 11 through 13, it says, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The battles that we fight as believers on a regular basis are not with people, okay? The problems we have with our government are not because of people. It's because of Satan. 
It's because of his demons doing their work and influencing people to live without God, apart from God, apart from God's truth. That's the battle we fight. And we need to understand that. And Paul emphasizes that in Ephesians 6, as we read this morning. Our battle is against evil. And Satan is the prince of that evil. And his demons are the ones who influence us to do that evil and to embrace evil. And we've seen that in our society. And so Satan does his best to distract us from what's important. He did that with creation. He used it to become gods for us instead of God. We worship the creature rather than the creator, Romans says, as mankind. Man has done that almost throughout the entirety of history, and that is the work of Satan. But we cannot blame Satan for our own sins because we are responsible before God for the choices we make. We are responsible for God for everything that we do without him. The psalmist tells us that it is the wicked who regard not God in all of their thoughts. So if you want a definition of wickedness, any thought or any action apart from God, without a thought of him. That's what Satan wants to drive mankind to, to abandon God. And and he's done a good job of it. But the Bible says in Ephesians 6, we have to put on the whole armor of God because we fight against demonic forces. The spirit world is where the battle is being waged. Now, Ephesians 6, 13 says, Wherefore, take unto you this whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Now, the evil day that it's talking about there is the day of judgment. If we withstand Satan's temptations and Satan's uh, uh, attractions, and if we follow faithfully the Lord, then in the day of judgment, we will be fine. We will be able to stand before Christ, and he will proclaim us as righteous. But those who are not faithful will not be able to stand. And we talk about the evil day coming, the day of judgment, and the tribulation is that great day of judgment upon the earth. There is another judgment coming in heaven when we all will stand before Christ And we will be reconciled, we'll be perfectly justified because of Christ, and we will receive our glorified body. There will become another judgment when all unsaved will stand before Christ, and they will be condemned forever. But there's an evil day on earth that's coming. It's called the Great Tribulation. And here in Revelation chapter 9, we see the demonic part of this Great Tribulation period. As we look at chapter 9, I want to just go through this with you. And as we open chapter 9, it is the, the beginning of the fifth trumpet. It says, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. So as John is given this vision, and this next, the fifth trumpet is sounded, he sees a star, it says, fallen from heaven. The word here is past tense. It doesn't mean that he necessarily, that action happened at that moment. But John sees a star fallen from heaven. Now, all through the judgments of Revelation so far, we've seen many instances of stars falling from heaven. Okay, you can go back into chapter 6 and into chapter 8. There's examples of asteroids, meteorites, of things that look like heavenly bodies coming down to the earth. And John here now says, I saw this star fallen from heaven. Except this time he's not talking about a heavenly body. This time he's talking about a person, an entity. And that entity is Satan himself. He describes him as fallen from heaven because Satan was cast out of heaven because of his pride. 
And in the book of Ezekiel describes that action when God evicted him from heaven. But there are commentators who are split on this, the interpretation of this passage because some believe that this goes back and describes the fall of Satan from heaven initially. Some say, well, this is a further fall of Satan from heaven because even though he was cast out of heaven initially, he had access to the throne of God. We read in the book of Job where Satan goes before God with what, he, what the Bible calls the sons of God, the angels or demonic forces, literally, that he goes and accuses believers and he accuses Job and says, Job is only faithful because you blessed him. And we know the story there. So Satan has access, even now, to God's throne to accuse believers. The Bible tells us that happens. But this, then, if that's true, is a final casting out of Satan, an eviction from heaven where he is now no longer allowed to come back into the presence of God. That's it. Okay? And this is in that final judgment of God against Satan and against the earth. So, he, so John says we see this, or he saw this star fallen from heaven. Um, in Revelation chapter 12, we'll see a great battle between Satan and his demons and the angels of God when Satan and his angels are thrown down to the earth and his angels with him. That very much could be what this reference is here. The star finally and permanently evicted from heaven, this, this angel who is Satan. So Satan then is now exiled permanently to earth. And the second part of the verse says he's given the key to the bottomless pit. The fact that he is given the key tells us this is not just a star, it's a person, and we know Satan was cast out of heaven, and so it all fits that this is Satan that we're talking about. So he's exiled to earth, he's given a key to the bottomless pit. The word bottomless pit here can also be interpreted abyss, and this word appears seven times in Revelation, referring to where demons are bound, where they are secured until the day of judgment. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it tells us that God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. There are angels that have fallen that God has bound and are now still bound until the day of judgment comes for them. Jude chapter 1, verse 6 refers to these angels as well. It says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. So what we have here in this bottomless pit that Satan now has been given the key to are fallen angels who have been bound through time. Now, initially, these angels were probably the angels that we read about in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4, when it says that the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they had sexual relationships with women, and then what resulted was the Nephilim, a race of giants that inhabited the earth at that time. Satan's goal at that point was to destroy the lineage and the bloodlines of men so that he could cut off, literally, the bloodline that would lead to Christ. Now, Satan has his plans, but God always overrules. And so we know the story. In Genesis chapter 6, if you know the reference there and what happens after that, Genesis chapter 7 and 8 are about the flood. And God calls Noah and his family and saves those eight people and preserves that line through which Christ came and destroyed the rest of mankind because of their evil. Okay? So we see the, the, the uh, results of Satan's work here. 
But these are the angels that came down during the days of Noah and literally propagated a kind of God-human race, a superhuman race of giants on the earth that were completely evil. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 refers to them as the spirits in prison who were once disobedient in the days of Noah. Okay? So those are the demons that are bound in this bottomless pit, among others, probably. There may be us, others who have been imprisoned in the abyss since that time. Uh, we don't know because the Bible doesn't specifically say that other demons were imprisoned at that point or, or in the future. We do know in Luke chapter 8, though, when Christ came upon a demoniac that had the legion of demons in him, remember they begged him not to cast them into the abyss. And so instead, he said, okay, there's a herd of swine. You can go into the herd of swine. And the demons did. And then the herd of swine ran over the cliff and they all drowned in the sea. So the beg- by begging not to be cast into the abyss, we have a reference at least that demons feared that fate. Okay. But this is the, the, the abyss that we're talking about here in Revelation chapter 9, the bottomless pit where these demons are held. And it says in verse 2, He opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. So Satan opens this bottomless pit. Now you would think that Satan... Eventually, as we get into Revelation, he's going to be cast into this pit. How would God give him power over it? How would he have the power to release his own forces upon the earth? Because that's what God chose to do. And God can give power and God can take power. And here he gives power to Satan to release these demons so that they can come and torment people on the earth as part of his judgment. And so as Satan opens the pit, a great cloud of smoke comes out of the pit, and with it, locusts, a great swarm of locusts, John says, or what looks like locusts. Think of a a volcano erupting and the massive cloud of ash and smoke that comes out of a volcano, okay? And if you can imagine the biggest volcano that you can think of and how much smoke and ash would come out of that, and it starts to spread out across the sky and darkens the sun and the moon. And then all of a sudden, out of that cloud comes massive swarms of locusts. Okay? That's what John's trying to describe here. But it's not locusts like any other locusts. These are supernatural, special, what, God, what, what John says looks like locusts. Locust swarms can be massive, by the way. Um, We know, we have seen even in our history, locust swarms that are massive. In 1889, uh, there was a swarm of locusts recorded that covered an area of 2,000 square miles in Africa. 2,000 square miles covered by locusts. That's a massive swarm. And yet this swarm of locusts that we see in Revelation 9 is going to cover the entire earth. So what we've seen in history pales in comparison to what we see in Revelation. But these locusts that come out of the smoke are not here to eat the vegetation. In fact, if you read verses 3 and 4, it says, There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree. Now that's what the locusts normally eat, vegetation. 
That's why they're so dangerous, because they can cause drought and famine. They can cause food shortages. These locusts are not about eating vegetation. The end of verse 4 says, They are to hurt only those men which have not the seal of God in their forehead. So these are not normal locusts. In fact, they're not locusts in the sense of an insect that God created. These are demonic forces. And they're given by power by God who controls all power and authority in the world. And God specifically gives them power, look at the end of verse 4, to hurt men who have not the seal of God in their foreheads. That is their purpose. Now, Satan and his demons want to hurt mankind. They want to to destroy them. They want to drag them down to the pits of hell. And so there's nothing more that delights the demons of Satan than for mankind to to die without Christ. And that's exactly what we have right here, is that God gives these demons power to torment unbelievers. But, in verse 5, he goes on and says, To them it was given that they should not kill them. So they can hurt them, but they can't kill them. And that's the restriction that power, of the power that God has over even demonic forces. They are not all-powerful. Satan is not all-powerful. He is still subject to God's authority and power. And he receives only the power that God allows him to have, as we see right here. God gives these demons specific power to do a specific job. Now, again, from Satan's perspective, it seems like, wow, Satan's winning the war now. But no, God's still in control. And that's the paradox of Scripture sometimes. We see things like this, and we go, I just don't understand how God could give all this power to Satan and to his demons to hurt man when God loves all men, right? But God loves us, but he has to fulfill his judgment, and his justice must be satisfied. And so this time specifically in the Great Tribulation is a time when God's judgment for sin is poured out on the earth. And he uses demonic forces to specifically carry out that judgment. So he says, they are given power to cause men extreme physical pain to hurt them, but not to kill them. Look at verse 5, but that they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. First of all, I don't know how many of you have ever had a scorpion sting. I have never experienced it. I knew a man who once was stung by a small scorpion. He said it was one of the most painful things he ever experienced. But that's how this torment is described, the sting of a scorpion. Now, the sting of a scorpion can be very extreme depending on the scorpion, how big it is, what kind it is. Most of the time it won't kill you unless you're already weakened or sick or very small in stature and in health but it's excruciatingly painful. And I've been told and have researched and found that people who have been stung by scorpions and it's a bad sting, it almost drives them to delirium, the pain is so bad. And so that's how uh, John describes this sting of these, these demonic forces. When they come to torment men, it's like a sting of a scorpion. It's, it's physical pain, obviously, that they inflict, but it's much more than that. It is a mental, it is an emotional disruption of life. It is almost driving people to delirium. 
And so when we talk about torment here, it's not just a sore that you put a Band-Aid on and then keep going on. This is debilitating pain and debilitating mental anguish that is a result of the torment of these, people, of these demons. But remember, God said this torment is only to be inflicted upon those who do not have the seal of God in their forehead. So it's unbelievers that are experiencing this torment, people who will not follow God. So even in the midst of this horde of demonic forces that comes upon the earth to torment mankind, God protects those people that are following him. We know from previous chapters that there's 144,000 witnesses that God has already sealed. But there are also believers who are sealed by the Holy Spirit, who are part of the population of the earth at this point, that God will also protect from this torment because God protects his own. Okay, And God says, you can't touch them. You only touch those people who are not believers, who have not been sealed in their foreheads with the mark of God. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. In Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6, God commanded the angel, his angel to go through Israel before the conquest of Babylon happened. And he said, I want you to find those people who are faithful ones and seal them in their foreheads, put a mark in their foreheads. And those people will be spared death when Babylon comes in. And then God, in Ezekiel, he literally refers to Babylon, the forces of Babylon, as his angels, as his servants. And they come in and they kill thousands, tens of thousands of people. But there were those who were spared because God protected them. Among them, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, we know their story when you read the book of Daniel. Yeah, they were carried off into captivity, but they were not killed. And so God protects his own. And here in, in Revelation chapter 9, we see God protecting even during the greatest tribulation on the earth and the greatest torment during human history, those people who have followed him and who trust him. But he doesn't protect unbelievers. He protects them from death. He does not protect them from harm. He allows harm to come upon them, but he tells these demons, do not kill them. In verse 5, it was given to them that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented five months. Now think about the anguish I just explained to you. Extreme pain to the point where you're not able to function. You're not able to think. You can't even carry on a conversation because you're just in delirium. It's that bad. And it's going to last for five months. Now, five months ago was Groundhog's Day. Do you remember that? I can't remember that far back, okay? I I have no idea what I was doing on Groundhog's Day. But that was five months ago. And God says, this torment is going to last for five months. It's extreme pain, not for a couple days, five months. That's almost half a year. And God allows that pain. He allows this torment because he's trying to get people's attention. That's his purpose for tribulation is to judge sin. But he wants people to turn their attention back to him. That's why he allows pain in our lives, because he's trying to get our attention. You've heard the phrase, sometimes people have to hit bottom before they look up, right? What do we call hitting bottom? When life has fallen apart, when things are not good, when we're in pain, when we're in anguish. I've hit bottom. And then what? I've got nothing left but God. And that's exactly the point at which he wants us to come. And that's exactly the point 
at which he wants these people on earth at this time to come. That this anguish is caused because he's trying to get their attention. It's a result of their sin. It's judgment against their sin. But there's still hope. Remember, the gospel is still being preached from the 144,000 witnesses. There's two more witnesses who are going to come on the scene to preach the gospel. There are other people who are saved who are spreading the gospel. The message is still there. There's still hope, and God is trying to get the attention of these people, and that's why he doesn't let them be killed yet. Now, what's sad is that many of them will die in their sin, and the torment will not just last for five months. It'll be forever. Look at verse 6. He says, In those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. The pain and torment is so severe that men are literally going to try to die to escape it. They will try to commit suicide, and God will not allow them to die. Talk about rubbing salt in the wound. They are so bad, they want to die. They welcome death to escape the torment. And God says, no, I'm not going to allow you to die. You're going to go through this for five months. So there's no escape, not even through death. Because you can't escape the judgment of God. And so in a way, God lets these people experience just a taste of hell on earth so that they will turn from their wickedness and be saved from eternal hell in the lake of fire. And again, that's his purpose for pain and for suffering, is to get our attention. C.S. Lewis put it this way, he says, pain and suffering are God's megaphone to rouse a sleeping world. How often do we ignore God until things go badly? That's human nature, and we see it even here in Revelation chapter 9. And so God uses extreme torment to try to get their attention. Verses 7 through 10 describe the appearance of these demonic forces. As you read on, it says, The shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. They had hair as the hair of women, their teeth were as the teeth of lions. They had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron. The sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. So John describes these locusts, these demons, the best he can. Now, notice all of these are similes. He says they're like as or like unto. He's not saying they are. He says this is what they kind of look like. And so he's trying to describe them the best he can. John has never seen demons before. He can't describe them because there's no reference. And so he tries to use physical references from the earth that we can understand to try to describe kind of what these things are like. And so he goes through this description, and he says, they're like horses prepared for battle. Think of a horse prepared for battle back in history. You know, they would put these armored plates on the horses. They would have, you know, all of the gear. And then back in the medieval times, the knights would be covered in armor. They would have these long swords and lances that they would fight with. But the horse's preparation was as important as the demon's prep or as the soldier's preparation. And here he says that these demons are like horses prepared for battle, so that they are warlike, they're powerful, they're eager to charge forward to accomplish their purpose. And he says they're on their heads there appeared to be crowns of gold. These are victors' crowns, by the way, not rulers' crowns. Okay, it's the wreath that was given to 
um, a, a victor in the Olympics or something like that, but it was not an authoritative crown that gave someone a ruling authority. But this crown of gold seems to indicate that these demons are going to be triumphant in their purpose. No one is going to defeat them. Okay, And that theme is here with these demons. They cannot be defeated. They cannot be stopped. They cannot be escaped from. He goes on, he says, their faces were like that of men, indicating that these are intelligent and rational beings, not insects. We're talking about angels that were creation of God that were intelligent beings. They were given a free will, and they chose in pride to rebel against God when Satan fall, fell. And so here they are now being loosed to work their wickedness and their torment upon the earth. But they have faces of men, intelligent, rational beings. They have hair like the hair of women. Now, this is a difficult one. I can't say specifically what this means. It may mean that they have long hair. I don't know. But the hair represents the glory of women. That's what 1 Corinthians tells us. So long hair is a glory. Angels, we know, were created very beautiful. They were one of God's most beautiful parts of creation. Satan, in fact, was the angel of light before he fell. And so he's very beautiful. But this could also be a reference to seductiveness. In uh, Proverbs chapter 7, it talks about the strange woman, and it describes her in a very seductive way. And this could represent the seductiveness of sin that Satan's demons use to draw people to themselves. Now, even like in Proverbs 5 and 7, when the uh, author of Proverbs tells, uh, tells his son, he says, I want you to listen to this wisdom that this is a trap. These kind of women are a trap. They will draw you in, promising you pleasure, and in the end, you will get death. And here we have the same picture of these demonic forces. They seem to be appealing. They seem to offer good things and pleasure, but in the end, they offer nothing but torment and eventually death. And so they have hair of women representing a seductiveness. They have teeth like that of lions. That means they're fierce in their attacks. They tear apart their victims. There is nothing safe. There is nothing good that can be gotten from Satan and his angels. Okay? And this is the danger of what we see in society today. We're going to see later. There's a word sorcery or witchcraft that's used in Scripture. The word sorcery comes from a root word that has implications of illicit drug use. Okay? And so when we look at sorcery and witchcraft in the Bible, we're also including drug use or being controlled by some foreign substance in our body. That would include alcohol. Okay? We are out of our control. We have lost control of our senses, of our faculties. That's what happens when we're under the control of alcohol or drugs. Okay, that's part of this demonic force. But how many people have been seduced into something like that, into the drug culture, into alcoholism, because it promised them an escape from reality or it gave them a sense of relief? And in the end, it'll kill them. There's nothing good about it. Satan makes sin look pretty, but always it has destruction as its result. And that's this teeth of lions. They're seductive like women, but they have teeth like lions. As soon as they have you in their grasp, they will rip you apart. It goes on, it says, they have breastplates of iron. The breastplate of a soldier was designed to protect his vital organs. They would put this iron or, or 
in some cases leather in the early days, uh, breastplate over their midsection would cover about from their neck down a little past their belly button. And it was to protect all the vital organs. Okay, even today, our armed forces and our law enforcement people wear body armor. It's a vest that they put over to cover your heart, your lungs, your liver, all of those vital organs. And when it says they have breastplates of irons, it, it means basically that these demons are protected from being destroyed. You cannot kill them. No one can kill them. Now, I've known, I, I know in the last several decades in our, uh, in our world, if you look at Hollywood, if you look at uh, even literature that's been produced, there's been this focus on the sensationalism of the extraterrestrial you know, the, the aliens from outer space, or the supernatural, super, you know, these superhuman heroes that have been highlighted in movies and in literature. Okay, we're being conditioned by Satan to accept these things as real, when behind all of this, the only superhuman forces that we fight against now are demons. We don't, we don't have aliens. We don't have superhuman humans. We have, al- we have demonic forces. Okay? And they are protected from being destroyed. Now, in the movies, the good guy always wins, right? He gets his special weapon and kills the aliens, and everybody's happy. That doesn't happen in Revelation. That doesn't happen in real life. God has given these demons power to be protected so that they cannot be destroyed. Humans are helpless against them. And then it says, The sound of their wings is like the sound of chariots of many horses running to battle. Now, imagine this sound, okay? We're talking about something like big locusts, maybe the size of horses, and they're flying. They have wings. Angels, we know, have wings, so they can fly. And the sound of their wings is like the chariots of many horses running to battle. Millions of demonic forces unleashed upon the world, flying in hordes over the entire earth. I mean, just the sound alone could drive you crazy. I was sitting at a traffic light the other day, and all of a sudden, my car started buzzing and humming and making this weird noise. I was like, is it broken? You know, we just had it checked. I hope it's not falling apart. And then I realized it was the car behind me. He had his windows open, and his bass was boom. You know, the, the music was playing. But it gave me a headache. In 30 seconds, sitting there at the traffic light, I started getting a headache from that noise. Now, multiply that times a million. Just constant this loud buzzing, apart from the other torment that they're going to cause. In fact, Joel chapter 2, verse 9, talks about this time in history, and he says that men will not even be able to go into buildings to escape these demonic forces. They can go right through doors, right through walls. Okay? They're supernatural. They're angelic spirit beings that take on a physical form to torment men on the earth. And verse 10 says they have stings on their tails like scorpions. Again, we have this reference to scorpions. This is the third time that they're compared to scorpions in this passage. And remember, I I described the sting of scorpions, so add that to all of the rest of what's going on here. But whatever the sting is that these demons have, it's excruciating and devastating to humans on multiple levels. And it will go on for five months. And then verse 11 It says that they have a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. The fact that they have a king or a prince over them signifies we're not talking about insects. Okay, Insects don't have a king. This is demonic forces, literal demons, fallen angels. 
Okay, we've seen in Scripture examples of the ranks of angels that God created. In Daniel, we have a reference in Daniel chapter 10 of an angel talking about the prince of Persia. He was fighting against the prince of Persia. That wasn't a man. That was a fallen angel who was given rule, essentially, by Satan over the realm of the area of Persia. Now, I'm going to come back to that because I want you to keep that in mind. But he's talking about the ranks of angels, and here we have the king of those ranks. And he's called the angel of the abyss, or the angel of the bottomless pit, in verse 11. So this is not Satan, because Satan has not been cast into the pit at this point. There are many commentators who say, well, this could be Satan, it must be Satan, because he's the ruler. No, angels have ranks. This angel has been in the pit with the other angels, and so he's the highest-ranking angel that comes out of the pit. And it says his name is Abaddon in the Hebrew, and his name is Apollyon in Greek. Now, why does John give us both of those names? Because you don't see this anywhere else in Scripture where, oh, it's this in Hebrew and it's this in Greek. Who are these demonic forces tormenting? Unbelievers. Whether they be Jews or Greek or Gentiles. And so for the Jews, his name is Abaddon, the destroyer. For the Gentiles, his name is Apollyon. But the result is the same. And there's no one safe from this torment. And so John uses the Hebrew and the Greek to describe this leader because he's saying it's going to affect everybody. And specifically for the Jews, remember, they're thinking, well, we're God's chosen people. We should have special favor. God's going to protect us. Absolutely wrong. When we get to this point, God's judgment on them is going to be just as severe as it is on anybody else if they do not believe in Christ. Now, I've read you this description, and I've heard people in the past say, well, this description, and we have to put it in context of modern warfare and the machinery that we have, so this could be, you know, like uh, hippie army men in helicopters, Okay, seriously, I had a pastor come to my church when I was, a kid, when I was young, and he, he said that. This, this is, you know, these hippies from the 60s riding in helicopters with the glass fronts. They have long hair, and they have faces like men. Okay, I, I don't think so. Okay, I'm sorry. I mean, you can try to, to interpret stuff like that, but John's trying to describe something he's never seen. Now, obviously, he never saw a helicopter, but he's also never seen a demon. Okay? And so he's doing the best he can. But I believe this is demonic forces, pure and simple, because they come up out of the pit and they attack men. So we have these demons that swarm out of the pit. And then in verse 12, he says, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. So this is just the first. Now, remember, up to this point in chapter 8, God has basically destroyed the ecosystems of the world. Fresh water, a third of the fresh water is gone. People are, are, are dying because of that. Uh, destroyed the oceans and a third of the ships and turned to blood. Um, burned up a third of all the trees and the plants and grass. Okay, so the world is in chaos at this point. And now God unleashes these demonic forces upon the earth. And he says, well, that's one of the remaining three. Guess what? There's two more to come. How much worse can it get? Well, very quickly, look at what happens in verse 13. A voice comes from between the four horns of the golden altar. Here's the sixth trumpet being opened or being released. 
six angels sounded a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And the four angels were loosed and were prepared, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. This voice comes from between the four horns of the golden altar. And this is the voice of God. Remember, this is the altar in heaven, not an altar on earth. This is the altar in heaven. And so this is the voice of God releasing this judgment now upon the earth. And the voice comes and says in verse, 13, or verse 14, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now, I'm going to do some of you a favor and do some of you a uh, hardship because I'm going to stop here. I just looked at the clock. This, I told somebody, this clock right here gives me about five extra minutes, and I can't see that clock, so I'm guessing what time it is. But to give you the substance of this sixth trumpet is going to take some time, and unless you want to sit here till 1 o'clock, I'm going to stop, okay? So you're in suspense. This is that cliffhanger. You're going to have to come back next week to get the sixth angel and the sixth trumpet, okay? But I want to focus on this torment that God has released upon the earth during his judgment period in the Great Tribulation. Okay, this is real. We cannot explain it away. We cannot say, oh, you know, it's not as bad as what everybody thinks. It's going to be worse than what everybody thinks it's going to be. And our job, number one, as his believers, is not to worry about it because we're going to be delivered by it. This should not scare us. This should be comforting because we're not going to be here. If we trust in Christ as Savior, we'll be gone by this point. We'll be in heaven. Everything will be fine and perfect with us. But the people who have to go through this, I wouldn't want to wish this upon anybody. And as bad as what we read today sounds, it just gets worse. And you may be thinking, how can it get worse? It gets worse, believe me. Okay? So we'll stop here. We'll come back next week, Lord willing, and we'll look at the sixth trumpet and see how it gets worse in God's judgment on the earth. So let's have a word of prayer, and um, we will close our service this morning. Lord, again, thank you that you've given us your word. We thank you for the privilege of studying these things and being able to see into the future. And it's things that we ourselves as believers will not experience. But those who are on earth who are not saved after you come to claim your church may have to go through this. And Lord, we wish this upon nobody. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the light and salt that you've called us to, to preserve people, to give them the message of deliverance that they can be preserved from this torment and this suffering as well. And especially from the eternal suffering of hell. Lord, help us to be the testimony of your goodness to others around us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the learning and the encouragement and the exhortation that it gives us, Lord. Help us to go now from this place to be the kind of people that you want us to be and to take the message with us so that you get all the glory for what we do in our lives and everything that's accomplished. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with hymn number 271. I'm going to ask the guys if they would join me back up here. As we close, my anchor holds 271. Again, a reference to our security in Christ. 